Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Last week, we talked about God our Father. We talked about the blessing it is to know our Heavenly Father. And if you remember, I was on thin ice. I'm going to get on thin ice again, right? At the beginning, I was like, how many of you guys know your father last week, right? And then I talked about a tribute that you could give to your dad. I want to bring that up again. I like to be on thin ice, I guess. I know father wounds are real. I know, you know, I don't know what your relationship is with your father. I'm blessed to have had a pretty good relationship with my father and uh, to respect him a lot and to feel loved by him. Not everybody has that. But what if you could? But what if you could? Like, well, you don't know my dad. And you might have been thinking that last week when I was like, how well do you know your father, right? And how's your relationship? Now I'm asking you, how's your relationship with your father? If you're like, I could never write him that tribute. I don't have a good relationship with him. It's hostile. That's a good word, isn't it? Hostile. (laughs) If you have a hostile relationship with your dad, with your father, um, then something needs to change, right? And somebody needs to be the change agent. Well, in spiritual terms, we had a relationship with our father, Adam and Eve, perfect, and then sin entered the world. And so hostility (laughs) is really what you're all born into Because of sin and sin nature and being born in that sin nature, you are naturally a sinner. And therefore, God, who hates sin, right, is holy, set set apart from sin. There's a a divide. there's There's a hostility. There's a brokenness in the relationship, just like maybe your relationship with your dad would be broken. Well, how do you solve that? Well, I'm just going to flip over to Timothy chapter 2. Um, just Let me read this for you. Uh, verse 3 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all time. I'll just stop with that. Depending on how your relationship is with your dad or with other people, I just want you to know this Christmas, it can be fixed. It can be back, but you need a change agent, right? And that change agent is Jesus Christ our Lord. The message today Second doctrine, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you want to have a better relationship with your Father God, everybody should say amen on that. Yes, may it be so. I want, I want that. Right? That was a great, I teed you up for that. If you want to have, I'm just going to go after it again. If you want to have a better relationship, not a broken relationship, but a better relationship with your Father, right? Amen. Yeah, amen. I want that. I want that. That's what I'm really looking for. Then Jesus is going to be that change agent. So we are blessed. Write this down. We are blessed to have relationship through Jesus. Um, God has blessed us in Christ. We are blessed to have relationship through Jesus. And so to that, I just ask, do you have relationship? 
with God your Father through Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship? If you do, that's great. It's awesome. She's like, yeah, good. Get on with it. Hold on. Hold on a second. Because some people don't. So let's not just skate by that. And so let me pray. Because I can't give you that relationship. I can try to give you the gift, but you only pick it up. You only accept whatever God's giving if God opens your eyes to it. Right? So let me pray. God, our Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to forgive all of our sins, I ask you to open the eyes of every soul that is in this room so that they might see clearly your love for them and your plan to save them from their sin. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, Ephesians 1, you're there. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, if you want to read it in order. I'm dyslexic, so I, I switch words sometimes. But by the will of God, that was funny, but not to you. <laughs> Great. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, faithful in Christ, you can't be faithful unless you're in Christ Jesus, abiding, okay? Grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace in your life come from Jesus Christ, okay? From. The first phrase, you are a messenger of Jesus Christ. You are a messenger. You are sent by God, by Christ, to tell other people. You can only do that and be faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay? And when you do that, grace and peace come from Jesus Christ. Okay? That's just the first two verses. We're not even going to like preach that. But it's all there. This doctrine, Jesus Christ, he's so important to your life. He's so important to my life. Matter of fact, he might be the most important figure in all of history. Can we agree on that? I mean, can we just... Like, our calendar might be set off of his birth. Before Christ, after Christ... He might be the most famous person. And this book, the Bible, which was written by him and for him to show us who he is, is the number one bestseller of all time. Jesus is a pretty big deal. I don't know if you knew that. Um, Christmas, we're going to celebrate it like in a week. That's about Jesus. Just in case the stores didn't tell you. Jesus is a big deal. I don't think you're getting it, so just lean over to your neighbor. Maybe if you hear it from somebody else, it'll help. Just lean over and just say, Jesus is a big deal. Return the favor so they get it back. Jesus is a big deal. 
So what did Jesus do exactly to restore our broken relationship? If we are blessed to have relationship through Jesus, what did Jesus do if there's this hostility and he's the mediator? What did Jesus do to restore that relationship? What did he do? I'm going to give you five things. Okay? Here's number one. Jesus came. That's a big deal. (laughs) Jesus came. We call that incarnation. Uh, We're in a doctrine series. There's going to be big words. I'm not going to explain them all. You just, he became flesh for us. Okay? He put on flesh. He, He was fully God and fully man. That's like last week when I said the Trinity, I like scooted right by. Did you see that? So it's like, how do you want to preach on stuff you can't explain? I can't explain the fact that he's 100% God and 100% man. I don't know how to try. How do I try? Jesus came. That's incarnation. He came to reveal God. He came to rescue us from sin. He came to restore relationship. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. They had relationship in the garden. And then sin. And sin separates us from this perfect relationship with God. You still could have a relationship with God. God sometimes tried to speak. God sometimes tried to act. People like Moses and Abraham became very close to God. We all want to be like them. Amen? I want to see God. I want to know God. I want to be blessed by God. Jesus came. You know, sometimes in the Bible it says Jesus was sent by God. And sometimes it says that he came. Okay? So, both and. And I think that's the same tension with many things in the scriptures. Just flip over to John chapter 1. Since it's a doctor message and I'm trying to preach about Jesus Christ, I'm going to be like all over the New Testament because Jesus kind of is all over the place in the New Testament. It might be a book written about him. So here it is. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now that will blow your mind right there. <laughs> the Word was with God. Two. And the Word was God. One. Okay. I, I get it, I think. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made with him, and all, you know, nothing was made that, you know, nothing could be made without Jesus, and in whom was life, and he gave you life, and all of that. Okay, skip down to verse 14. And the word became, he came, flesh, incarnation, and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory. You could see it all over the pages of scripture. And the disciples, they were like firsthand, like, all the time, they're like, what? We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He, Jesus, has made Him God known. 
I have written in my Bible, God with us, right beside that. The only way you know God the Father, the only way you have a relationship with God the Father is through Jesus Christ, his son. Good thing Jesus came, huh? I mean, good thing. So many other references I could use. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So many others. You have this uh, 100% God and 100% man thing, and you're on 100% weekend. I thought, just take a couple minutes and talk about this, okay? So let me throw a few verses on the screen. He's a 100% man. He was virgin born, okay? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, he had a mother. You have a mother? You wouldn't be here if you didn't have a mother, right? That's what makes you human, okay? Mother Mary uh, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they even, you know, did that thing, okay? She was found to be with child. Whoop! That's going to be a problem. That's going to be a big problem. I mean, this guy has to be, like, really grace-filled. And you can read more of the story. It's a good time to read the story, right? At the beginning of the Gospels, it's that time of year. I'll let you read it. She was found to be with child with from the Holy Spirit, right? From the Holy Spirit. So this is 100% man. He's got a mom. He's going to be born, natural childbirth, okay? I'm pretty sure they didn't have epidurals then, all right? And, and, but she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. God's his father. 100% man, 100% God. He uh, is 100% man because he has human weaknesses and limitations. Let me give you a couple of references. John 4, 6 says he grew weary, woman at the well. John 19, 28 says he was thirsty on the cross. Matthew uh, 4, 2 says he was hungry, right, when he was being tempted by the devil. Luke 2, 40 says he grew in strength. And Luke 2, 52 says he grew in wisdom and in stature. These are human things. On the flip side, he's fully God. The word God, theos, is attributed to Jesus. He's God. So many verses on that. The word Lord, kairos, you see it in Luke uh, 2.11. Let's just go to that, Luke 2.11. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's Lord, right? He's God. And then this verse, John, chapter 20, verses 27 through 29. Then he said to Thomas, this is after the resurrection and everything, put your finger here and see my hands and put out, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's maybe what I'm trying to get you to do today. Do not disbelieve, that Jesus came, believe that he came. You're all like, I believe Jesus came. Yeah, well, there's more, okay? Thomas answered him. Here it is. Evidence to God as 100% God. Jesus as 100% God, sovereign. My Lord, Kairos, and my God, Theos, right? Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? You're like, yes, 
Yes, I believe you because I see you. And if Jesus would show up right now, you'd all fall on your face. Right, isn't that it? Read the next verse. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Jesus knew that he wasn't going to live on earth forever and ever. There was going to be a time period where we were just going to have the Bible to point us to him. And he knew that people were going to have to believe by faith that he was real in history, a real historical figure, but not just a man, God. 100% man, 100% God. Uh, Just this last fact that I think is really good as long as we're studying doctrine. He is human, but, and he's like us, but yet without sin. This is really key. Yet without sin. Jesus didn't sin. Do you know another man or woman that hasn't sinned? No, I do not. You know one and only Jesus Christ. Unique because he was sinless. You can look that up. You can read it all over the place. But uh, Colossians 1. 15 through 20 is a great place. Let me, let me just show this one on the screen. 1 John 3, 5. You know. Do you know? Do you know? You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. That's why Jesus is so astounding. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He died your death, my death, for sin and shame. The fact that Jesus came gives us an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus, uh, with God, our Father, and we're so blessed. <coughs> Excuse me. Fighting a cold here. Don't let it be distracting to the word. Number two, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Redemption. Jesus saves. Redemption. If Jesus came, incarnation is history, then Jesus saves. Redemption is a mystery. (laughs) Right? We're like, what? Like, how can Jesus, a guy I've never met, only through the Bible, save me? Well, the Bible's very clear about this. Uh, Look at Ephesians, back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, that is, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Oh, that's how he did it. Sacrifice. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, thinking about butter again, Upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. In Jesus, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin. That's how it works. Redemption. Redemption is a legal term. There's a lot of legal terms. Justification, you know, you go on and on about legal terms in the Bible. You kind of get this courtroom scene where you bring in a prisoner. What do prisoners usually come in like? What's that? 
handcuffs, okay? And uh, so I'm pretty sure they didn't have handcuffs back then, so I tried to go a little bit more rogue, rogue than that, old school. And uh, what do prisoners wear nowadays? I heard it. Come on now. Come on now, Jay. Give it to me. Jumpsuit. Jumpsuit. Orange. Right? Why orange? Anybody ever think about that? Is it humiliating to wear orange? I don't know. Like, I kind of like wearing orange. You're wearing orange, Jared. I don't know. <laughs> they could see if you run away. Okay, I get it. Okay. I would have never thought that. I need a volunteer. Jared, since you're wearing orange, come on up. We're not going to go old school with the clothes. Come on, give me your hands. Okay, let's go. Get this up. Does that hurt? No. I was hoping it would. (laughs) All right. Throw away the key. All right. Um, This is how we come. And I want you to get, you know, in the Roman times, they would understand slavery. All right, slavery to us is like, yuck, down, bad, right? Yeah, well, it is bad. And... uh, but they understood, right, being a slave. Uh, we, we're not going to go old school with the clothes because they probably were naked. And probably shame, right? I'm nobody. It's humiliating who I am. And you were there. And the legal term is that he, he it's redemption, right? He rescued you. He ransomed you. He, he took the key to sin and death and he broke it loose, and he said, you're free, right? All right, thanks. That is redemption. Jesus saves you from your sin. You're, you're cuffed to it. Like, you're like, you can't, like, get away from it, right? Like, you're like, why does pornography keep following me? Why does whatever sin you struggle with keep following me? Why? You're shackled to it. So is everybody else. Why quit, quit pretending that you don't have something that you're struggling with. Like everybody's shackled to something. And then Jesus comes. And he says, I want to rescue you. I want to pay the ransom in order to release you from bondage and slavery. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, just great on this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He shared in our flesh and blood. He came that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus destroyed the power of death and he destroyed the the power giver, right? The devil. And delivered all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. Are you afraid of death? Afraid to die? Somebody held a gun to your head right now? Boom, gone. Do you know where you're going? Eternity? Heaven? Hell? See, I'm not scared to die. I don't want to leave my wife behind and my five kids, that's for sure. Because I want to serve them. But if I get past that, To die is gain. To be in the presence of the Lord? Come on, bring it. And knowing where you're at with Christ, that he saves you, that he ransomed you, that he bought you, that's everything in this life. That's everything. Romans 3, 
3 and 5 uh, describe this. I'm just going to let you go read it, but let me give you two um, verses. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died on the cross to pay the redemption price for our sin. To bring you to himself. To set you free from your sin. It's an amazing thing. I've been waiting for a couple weeks to say this phrase. When we titled this doctrine, Knowing Who God Is Defines Who I Am, this phrase was in my head. And I want to say it to you. And I want you to just soak it in. Your sin, my sin, your sin doesn't define you. Okay? Your sin does not define you. Your God defines you. Who your God is defines you. Now, it's a very clever statement because if that sin is your God, if lust is your God, if drugs are your God, if alcohol is your God, if sex is your God, if money is your God, then that defines you. But sin, okay, let it be what it is. Let it not be a God to you. Let it be what it is. The problem that we all need to fight. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by your God. Who's your God? Who's your God? This third thing. Jesus rose. Jesus rose. Resurrection. A little quicker now. Verse 15, down through, and he gets to, um, let's just go to verse 19 of Ephesians 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Again, the tension in Scripture. Sometimes it says Jesus rose himself from the dead. Sometimes it says the Father rose him. This time it's saying the Father raised him from the dead. There's a tension there, isn't there? Well, who did it? Uh, God is one. Back to the mind-blowing trinity. All right? I have this quote from this book I recommended to you last week. I just want to read it. All four of the Gospels contain accounts of Jesus' resurrection. Matthew 28, you could write these down if you want. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Throughout the book of Acts, the apostles continually, continually speak of Jesus' resurrection, encouraging people to trust in him as the one who is alive and reigning in heaven. 
the rest of the New Testament depends entirely on the assumption that Jesus is a living, reigning Savior who is the head of the newly formed church. The whole New Testament just assumes this is true. Simply put, one can find ample proof for the resurrection throughout the whole New Testament. I'm not even going to go try to prove it all to you. We've been all over Scripture already. I'm just going to say to you, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. <clears throat> and it's that right there. It's not that he came. It's not that he wants to save you. It's the fact that he rose from the dead that's going to set you free. That right there. What you believe about that right there is the water shed moment for you. <clears throat> so what do you believe about the resurrection? <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You believe that? In victory over sin and death? That right there is the moment of salvation. Right there it is. That is the blessing you have in Jesus Christ. Right there. In a couple weeks, we're going to do baptisms. And I've been hearing people talk about it a little bit, like getting ready to get baptized. And it's been pretty exciting. It's always exciting, right? Why? Because baptism is a picture of the resurrection. It's a picture. You're, you're here in the water, right? And you die, right? You go under, into the grave, right? And you raise to newness of life. It's a picture of the resurrection. Jesus came. He died, he rose. And because he did that for me, and I believe that to be true, I'm identifying myself with him through this symbol that God gave us of baptism, dead to sin, alive in Christ. If you've never been baptized that way, I would encourage you to think about it. I would encourage you to put a stake in the ground because if you sat there and said, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. Yeah, I, be I believe that. I would say to you, are you living that out? It's one thing to say, I believe it. It's another thing to live it out. To obey what God says in his word and to identify with Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I would just encourage you, if you've never been baptized after this point of Believing, right? Believing what? That God rose Jesus from the dead, right? Victory over sin and death, my sin. Then I would just encourage you to be thinking about being baptized on December 31st of this year and identifying with Jesus Christ. All right, this next thing. Jesus came, incarnation. Jesus saves, redemption. Jesus rose, resurrection, and Jesus reigns, ascension, okay? 
all these words, they're so big. I didn't even know how to spell ascension. Does that make me a dummy? Come on now. There's no T in there, really? Like, doesn't make any sense. It's just me. Back to verse 20. So he worked in Christ, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. What's your name? Go ahead. I'd like to learn all of your names. Give them to me all at once on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Got it. Perfect. We're set. I'm good. Right, Holly? I got it now. All right. So, you get it. Every name that's named, you just named your name. You know what? You know who's above that name? Jesus. The name of Jesus is above your name. And not second, and not close to, you know, Steve, right? We understand that he reigns because he ascended and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Just to finish. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If the resurrection is victory then the ascension and the reigning is authority. Jesus Christ is in authority. He has authority over your life. You're like, no, he doesn't. I'll do whatever I want until that day that it describes in Philippians chapter 2 where it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I would just say, I would rather you stood and said, Jesus Christ, my Lord, today, than bow the knee to him one day and say, Jesus Christ is Lord because everybody has to do it. Do it by your own free will, not because his presence brings you low. He has authority in our lives. Can you just see that picture? Just close your eyes and look into the throne room. God sitting on his throne, robe filling the whole temple. Jesus Christ at the right hand. Perfect human body. Glorified. What must that be like? I don't know. I keep looking at myself in the mirror. I don't know what a perfect glorified body looks like. That's where the picture breaks down for me. But to know that positionally he's at the right hand, that's awesome. That he's in authority. If he's in authority, how should we interact with Jesus? If he's the new owner, because I've been set free from this thing, if Jesus is the new owner, manager, the new master, if you want to use that word, my Lord, 
then how should I act? You know, roll up to him daily. Hey, in prayer, right? Hey, Jesus, what's today hold? What are we going to do today? What do you have for me today? What do you want for me today? And a few things I have that I think are important. Well, maybe they're not as important anymore now that I'm thinking about you and your right standing. So many times prayer is us going to God, asking him for something. Rather than us going to God and saying, God, what do you want? You're the boss. You're in control. Help me with this problem. It seems too great for me, God. It's about the only time it gets focused on me. I believe he's in control. <clears throat> Excuse me. This last thing. Jesus speaks. All over scripture, Jesus speaks. And this is an invitation to you. Jesus speaks. In Matthew 4, verse 17, he says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Two verses later, in verses 19, he says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What an invitation. A couple verses later, he says, He was teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The best place I could go to in the New Testament to show you the invitation he's given you, Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Just take a look at it quick. It's on the screen. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, right? He's praying. That's what he's doing. He's praying. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. You know what? Little kids have the childlike faith that it takes to accept Christ. Big people, the bigger I get, the more I question it. Well, that doesn't make sense. I don't know. The laws of, you know, whatever. And I'm just telling you. Strip it all down. God says, yeah, it's not the wise people. It's not the understanding people. It's not the like, people that have PhDs and know everything. It's childlike faith. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except for the Father. And no one knows the Father except for the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You can have relationship to your Father this Christmas, right? Through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ can reveal him to you. He can open your eyes. He can let you see it. And then he says, come to me. Come to me. Right? Is that an invitation or not? I don't know how you walked in here today, but he says, come to me, all you who labor. Did you work this week? And are heavy laden? Did you have any problems this week? And I will give you rest. Please take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an invitation, eh? Jesus speaks. And when he speaks, he gives you an invitation. Flip over your Bible 
to uh, Romans. Let's just close with this. Romans chapter 10. Just get your eyes on it. Romans chapter 10. This is Paul, the same writer as wrote Ephesians. And he's stating something very clearly, and I think it's just good to read it here and then we'll be done. He says, brothers, sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, churchy people, Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge. Are you, are you pretty amped up about God? I saw you guys worshiping today, man. You were kind of stoked. I was thinking we should just be... It's 100% weekend. I was thinking we should just do, do something a little crazy, right? Like be like, and now, at worship, bread time. You know, like I was just like so, I'm like, well, I'm coming in. I'm like, let's go, let's go. And there's a zeal to that, right? There's a zeal. I go, let's go. I want to give my offering. I want to get a building. Let's go. You know, I'm just like stoked. And he says here, there's a lot of people that are stoked for God. but not according to the knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own, their own what? Their own religion. They did not submit to the righteousness of God. And you flip down, just, just a little bit down. He just explains it so clearly. Look at verse 8. Romans 10 verse 8. But what does it say? What does the Bible say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if, this is it, this is the decision. This is the invitation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. Do you believe? that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in victory over your sin and death? That when you die physically, you won't really die? Your spirit will keep going in eternity with Jesus? That's mind-blowing, I know, but that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. God Almighty declares it. He speaks. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. What do you confess? For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What do you confess? Jesus is my Lord. That's what you confess. You say, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new master. There's a new manager. There's a new person at the helm of my life. And it's not me. And it's not my sin. I'm not defined by my sin. I'm defined by my God. And my God's name is Jesus. He saved me. And he reigns in me.